Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's of kid treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend Jon Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. School of Humans. Uh, So I'm not very good at cooking, if you can believe it. And I'm a bit of a mess. I am. I know. I do American filth and I'm a mess. We never thought that could be possible. But the past couple of weeks, I was trying to, you know, be an adult and make dinner. And let's just say that sometimes my hair falls into the supper. (laughs) Whoopsies. But that's why we're doing this episode this week, because it is about some ladies where if their hair fell into your dinner, it would basically take up the whole dinner. So in 1885, if you went to the Barnum and Bailey Circus, you know, the greatest show on earth, you might stumble upon a sideshow featuring the Sutherland sisters. And what made them intriguing was not that there were seven of them. Oh no, that's normal. It was that they had a whole heck of a lot of hair. Yeah, they had hair down to the ground. Some of them with hair that literally dragged like a wedding dress train when they walked. And then when they would tie their hair together, because, you know, that's a normal showmanship thing to do, it measured 49 feet long. I mean, some say 49, some say 37, but what's eight feet? Whatever. They had a lot of hair. That's the point. And for a time, they got the nickname The Seven Wonders. And then with the circus and on their own, they toured the world, making people gasp in disbelief, in awe, and yes, erotic shock when they let down their flowing locks. But just like a prince climbing up Rapunzel's locks, that prince must come down. That's right, that was a bad metaphor. Basically, it's a metaphor for being like, yeah, the Sutherland sisters, they were very successful at some point, but they lost it all. Cue the theme music. This is American Filth, and I'm your host, Gabby Watts. Today's episode, The Seven Hairy Wonders.
The seven Sutherland sisters were born between 1845 and 1862 and grew up on a dairy and turkey farm in upstate New York in a town called Cambria. And they were entering the world around the Industrial Revolution when people were like, machines can do stuff for us now. Do we really have to still work? Their parents, Mary and Fletcher Sutherland, were church-going folk. And as their daughters grew up, the family quickly discovered that the girls were great musicians with beautiful singing voices. When they weren't shepherding turkeys barefoot, they would play and sing in churches and markets and the like. But then, plot twist, their mother Mary died suddenly in 1867. With nothing but a failing farm on his hands, good old Fletch, a savvy guy, preacher, inventor, writer, and smooth-talking showman, saw an opportunity to make some money and start a better life for his girls. So he takes his seven daughters on the road, and also the one son, Charles, and he's throwing them out into the world so that they can make some bucks off of their musical talents. And it's kind of funny with the brother. At first, they were billed as the Sutherland Concert of Seven Sisters and One Brother. And I don't know if this was sort of like a jab at one of the sisters, but a newspaper wrote about the fifth sister, 13-year-old Naomi, that she was an impressive baritone. But what Fletch and his daughters quickly realized, that people were not as interested in their singing voices as they were their hair. Before she died, their mother would coat their hair in this disgusting, foul-smelling oil that actually caused them to be quite uh, left out at school. No one wanted to talk to them because they smelled so bad. They were often so embarrassed by the smell that when visitors would come to the farm, they would put their hair in braids and hide in the tall grass around their farm. But as gross as this oil was... It apparently worked, and their hair just kept growing strong and long. Now, in the mid to late 19th century, having long hair was a sign of some very favorable traits, like piety for one. You have to have been blessed for sure to have such long hair. And it was also a sign of modesty, because you could hide even your naked body if you had hair long enough. How convenient! But also, in a time when people were losing their hair from diseases and bad medicine, it was really a mystery how they could possibly have hair that long. They are like, dang, those girls are clearly very healthy. And a healthy broad, that was hot stuff back in the day. Some people even thought that their long hair was a sign that they had magical powers. And once they realized that this was an asset the sisters developed a new act that featured their hair. They would line up youngest to oldest and one by one let down their locks to the gasping crowds. And the crowds were increasingly shocked and even more horny with each reveal. Then the sisters would tie their hair together and show off its nearly 50-foot span. They toured the South first, Pensacola, Florida, Mobile, Alabama, and New Orleans, until they made it to the World's Fair in Atlanta, Georgia. Their act was hot, so hot that by 1881, they were invited to Broadway. It's unclear what exactly they did to justify the show for Broadway. I don't know if they sang songs or just stood on stage and did their hair, but hey, it was Broadway and they had made it. And according to their biographer, Brandon Strickney, each of the sisters was unique. 
I mean, can you believe that, that there were seven sisters and they had unique personalities? What? I thought they would all be the same. But we're going to take a little time to get to know each sister. And these are some descriptions from Strickney's book called The Amazing Sutherland Sisters, a biography of America's first celebrity models. The last celebrity model? (laughs) It's me. So there was Sarah. She was the oldest and she loved her Bible. She sang high soprano and she was also a piano teacher. And the thing about her is her hair was actually only three feet long. Uh, so when they posed for photos, she would just be seated uh, to create the illusion that her hair went all the way to the ground. OK, so only three feet long. But then there was Victoria. She had the longest hair of them all, seven feet long. It would drag behind her when she walked. And she loved all the fame and fortune that they got. And so sometimes she would wear diamonds and gold around her neck and in her ears, just being like, "Mm, look at me, I'm so famous. Then there was Isabella. She had dark eyes, just like her brother Charles. She was a tenor. She also wrote poetry. And uh, she rejected religion and clung to, quote, untamable men. (laughs) Same. The fourth sister was Grace. She was the alto, and she loved chat. Uh, She managed a lot of the business and the personal correspondences for the group. Then there was Naomi, who was that baritone who was mentioned earlier. And she was often described as busty and irreverent. And then there was Dora. She was the beauty. She had the face of a dreamy 19th century pinup, a turned-up nose, and a sentimental pout that could melt any heart. And then finally, there is Mary. And I feel kind of bad for her because her description in the book is actually very kind of mean. (laughs) It said, Mary, the family felt, was sometimes best understood from a distance. Her stage talent fleeting, alto singing unreliable, and she had a lot of tantrums. (laughs) I've actually, I mean, Naomi, I would say busty and irreverent. I'm like, I would love to identify as that, but I do kind of feel like a Mary. That makes sense. Anyway, and so it was at this point after they were on Broadway in 1884 that Barnum and Bailey took notice of their act and asked them to join them and tour around the country. And this was a huge benefit for the sisters, but it was also a huge benefit for Barnum and Bailey because it gave them some legitimacy. Like these girls weren't just an ordinary carny sideshow. Oh no, they were respected by high society peeps. Their act was tasteful and included engaging stories and church music, and that was all elevated by the goddess status granted by their hair. And once you're famous, know what's important to do. Figure out how you can use that fame to make money. So remember, they still had their dad, Fletcher Sutherland, And with them joining the circus, it was a perfect time for them because they had been scheming about a new product, basically some merchandise called the Seven Sutherland Sisters Hair Grower, or sometimes called hair fertilizer. Their dad, Fletcher, had been trying to market it for a few years, but it didn't really work out until he joined forces with Harry Bailey, a relative of James Bailey of Barnum and Bailey fame. Now, Harry, he was courting Naomi. Remember the busty and irreverent baritone? And so Harry helped the father establish a trademark in 1883. So by the time that they hit the road with the circus, their itinerant lifestyle provided a brilliant marketing opportunity. They're like, yeah, look at the sisters. Look at their hair. You want hair like this? Buy this product. And the hair growing serum was made from the same nasty smelling oil that Fletcher's late wife had used when the girls were little. 
And the thing is, Fletcher himself, he was balding. And what he would do is he claimed that his tiny tufts of hair that he had left, he was like, oh, yeah, I used to be fully bald. But actually, look at it now. Look, I have some little tufts. It works. I'm seeing results. Fletcher even took the serum to a chemist so that he could get a very serious review of the product. The review said, having made a chemical analysis of the hair grower prepared by the seven long-haired sisters, I hereby certify that I found it free from all injurious substances. It is beyond question the best preparation for the hair ever made, and I cheerfully endorse it. Fletcher also used his previous title of Reverend Fletcher Sutherland on the bottle, which gave it extra status. It's like, look, this hair product is also blessed by God. Can you imagine? They targeted high-class women, selling the bottle for $1, sometimes $1.50, which was equal to anywhere from a whole day to a whole week's wages in the 1880s. And the thing is, the product, well, it blew up. It was everywhere, and the sisters were a sensation that had never been seen before. They dominated the headlines, sometimes appearing before the presidents, like Rutherford B. Hayes and William Howard Taft. They're like, you're not front-page news, the sisters are. And this all worked out for Naomi, because in 1885, she married Harry Bailey, who helped them market the product. Reverend Fletcher died in 1888, but that meant that all seven sisters became co-owners of the business. And this was huge, because this was an age where women were expected to be nothing but proper housewives. And these sisters, instead, they're like, no, we're going to be businesswomen, actually. They expanded their products to include a scalp cleaner, a comb, eight shades of colorator, and even other types of cosmetics like face cream. I feel like they're kind of like the 19th century Kardashians. They came up with all these slogans like, a woman's hair is her crowning glory. And remember, ladies, it's the hair, not the hat, that makes you beautiful. Mm. And it's funny that, uh, is the hair, not the hat, under that label... It said, any woman may possess bountiful, soft, silky hair by frequently shampooing with seven Sutherland Sisters scalp cleaner. It's cleansing, soothing, antiseptic, and health producing. It contains nothing but what is good for the hair and scalp. Our hair grower is an ideal tonic, prevents loss of hair, restores vigor. Ask your dealer about it. I assume not your drug dealer, probably your medicine dealer. So still drugs, but whatever. And these women were really good at marketing. Uh, They would visit shops in Manhattan and pose in the windows promoting their products. But then eventually they were banned from doing that because sometimes their presence would cause such a ruckus that it would stop traffic. And yeah, they were just, they weren't just the talk of the town. They were like the talk of the country. Like they were these huge socialites. According to the hair historian Bill Severn, Everything they did was news, and for years their hair made Sutherland a household name. And, of course, they appeared in gossip columns, but they were also featured in more respectable publications like the New Yorker, Time, the New York Times. They were moralized in plays and poems, too, and Sutherland's sister memorabilia became highly sought after. There were concert programs, photos, calling cards, postcards... Often people would, like, get their postcards signed, and they would frame them and put them on their mantelpieces... But the most desirable artifacts from the sisters were pieces of their hair. And the obsession with ownership of it got very creepy. 
I feel like this is like early feet pics, but instead of feet pics, they're like, I just want some of your hair. Mm. Like one fan offered Victoria $2,500 to cut all of her hair off. She was like, um, no, this is how I make a living. But she did sell a single strand of her hair to a jeweler for $25. And then the jeweler, I guess he liked this hair so much that he suspended it in his shop window next to a seven carat diamond. He's like, which is more valuable, this hair or a diamond? Mm. And the Sutherland sisters, their company was super successful. It opened offices in New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, Toronto, and even Havana, Cuba. But of course, this story wouldn't be a story without some drama. They can't just be successful and live happily ever after. Boo. After all, they are women in the 19th century. Not a great time. So let's get to the end of the 19th century. In 1893, the sisters built a mansion on top of their original home in upstate New York. Remember, they grew up on a turkey and a dairy farm. But now they were ready to live in luxury. So they built this mansion on top of their old stomping grounds. There are 14 rooms in all with servants' quarters in the attic that were honestly very nice and I would live there now. But their lavish lifestyle would be short-lived as there's lots of sorrow and death around the corner. Back after these soothing advertisements. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, Sham, scam, beware. 
Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. By 1890, the Sutherland sisters had sold 2.5 million bottles of hair grower alone, raking in more than $3 million. And while they were smart and highly attractive to many, you know, the pinnacle of feminine sexuality, four of the seven sisters refused to marry, possibly fearing that a husband would try to take control of their lives and their money. So they built that huge mansion on their hometown farm plot, and that became their business headquarters. And they played host to a lot of extravagant parties. It was a dream house, a princess palace, complete with a veranda. Oh, having fun on the veranda. There were hardwood floors for their precious little feet, epic crystal chandeliers, black walnut woodwork, and the first indoor bathroom in Cambria, New York. And that bathroom, it was all marble. And guess what? It had hot and cold running water. To maintain the system, a servant had to fill a tank in the attic every single day. An article in Yankee Magazine reads, Pets were treated like royalty, with winter and summer wardrobes and grand funerals and obituaries in the local newspaper. The carriage horses were covered in gold. The sisters sponsored many a gala for their neighbors, often including fireworks. (laughs) Wow, fireworks. By the mansion, there were seven personal maids, one for each sister, and they were paid to comb their hair every night. The sisters also had these three-foot mannequin dolls made in their image, and as strands came out, they were collected and put on the mannequin. (laughs) Creepy. Apparently, these dolls were dressed in the finest Victorian clothes and sent to shops to advertise their products in the store windows. While the sisters maintained a poised and Christian exterior, anybody with siblings might imagine that there was some drama behind the scenes, some love triangles, fighting, drugs, and risky financial decisions. Naomi, the busty baritone, died at 40 in 1893, the very year the house was finished. She never lived to enjoy the luxuries that the mansion provided. The sisters, despite some rivalry, were shocked when Naomi passed. Her death marked the start of a slow decline for the Sutherland sisters. 
and their rags-to-riches rise. As they were still touring with Barnum and Bailey, they had to audition Naomi's replacement. They found Anna Louise Roberts, a woman from Pennsylvania, with nine feet of hair. Meanwhile, a man with the ridiculous name of Frederick Castlemaine started showing up, courting Dora, the pretty one. But then, in a very painful turn, he ended up marrying Isabella, who was 10 years older than him. She had a thing for younger men. But the thing is that Castlemaine, he was handsome, but he was also pretty weird. I mean, first of all, he had addictions to opium and morphine. And then he had this weird thing that he would do is that he would sit on the Sutherland sisters' front porch and then he would shoot the spokes out of wagon wheels as people drove by. Neighbors, they were very unhappy with this practice because those were their wagons. And so what he did was he paid them off, basically, to be like, hey, I'm sorry I did that. It was fun, though. And the thing is, even though he was handsome and kind of a silly guy, Uh, In 1897, while he was on tour with the sisters, he committed suicide. (laughs) Obviously, the sisters were very distraught by this as well, particularly Isabella. (laughs) And uh, in a weird attempt to quell Isabella's grief, uh, they didn't have Castlemaine embalmed for a while. Instead, what they did is they put his body in a Snow White-style glass case that they would sing to daily. Ten days after his death, though, local health officials were like, hey, girls, this is getting disgusting. Time to bury the guy. So they buried him in a mausoleum in Glenwood Cemetery in Lockport, New York, where most of the Sutherland sisters would eventually end up. Isabella was so distraught by what happened that she became a local legend. A ghostly woman visits the graveyard every night, weeping in her dressing gown and singing softly, lantern in hand. This went on for two years until she met an even younger dude named Alonzo Swain. And yeah, Alonzo, he was young, but not as young as Victoria's new beau. At 50, Victoria finally got married, but her husband was only 19. And her sisters were like, Ew, Victoria, you can't live here if you're married to a 19-year-old boy. Yuck, we don't want him around. So they threw her out. And she passed away shortly after this event in 1902. Which I imagine made the other sisters feel a little bad. They're like, oh no, we kicked her out of the house and then she died. And so for the act, they had to find yet another replacement. This time they found Anna Haney. Her hair length was six feet. And now at this point, I'm like, are they the Kardashians or are they more like the Pussycat Dolls, you know, because they got to keep re-auditioning people to be in the group anyway. And through all of this, one of the sisters, Mary, her mental health was in decline. She became very antisocial and she would threaten her sisters by saying she was going to cast spells on them. And the other sisters to try to treat her, basically what they did is they would lock her in her room. Great job, guys. And that's exactly the right thing to do with someone suffering through a mental health problem. And so there was all this sadness, all this death, having to replace the sisters. But what really caused their fall from grace was in 1910, flappers emerged. They were rebellious young women challenging the status quo. And they started chopping off their hair and sporting bob haircuts that shimmied like the tassels on their dresses when they danced. This really was the final blow, the tolling of the bell for the Sutherland family. 
Their extravagant lifestyle couldn't be maintained without a lot of income. And as short hair became increasingly popular, the need for hair grower tanked. And each time one of the sisters died, the rest of them were wrecked. Isabella was the next to go in 1914. And then Sarah, basically the band leader, in 1919. Dora, Mary, and Grace decided to move to Los Angeles, but Dora died in a car crash on the way. And at this point, Mary and Grace were dirt poor. They didn't have enough money to have her buried, so they tried to get her cremated. They couldn't even afford that. So what they did is they dropped her body off at the crematorium and never showed up to collect her ashes. Hardly able to afford food, Mary and Grace were forced to abandon the mansion in 1931, and it stood empty for years, and then finally burned to the ground in 1938, taking with it patent recipes for hair grower tonic. The Sutherland Sisters' cosmetic business was officially dissolved in 1936, and Mary was committed to the Buffalo State Asylum for the Insane, where she died in 1939. Grace died seven years later in 1942, destitute. There was no more room for her in the Castle Main Mausoleum, so she was eventually buried in an unmarked grave. Slowly but surely, these seven sisters and their runaway success faded into obscurity. Until now, I mean, until some other historians looked into them, but, you know, also me for doing this show, haha. Because I had these terrible demises, I feel pretty bad up top that I was uh, talking about how gross long hair can be. But still, it's pretty impressive that they were women in the 19th century who were able for a time to run a successful business and capitalize on their hair. Pretty amazing. And of course, in every American Filth episode, we learn a lesson. And I think the lesson here is uh, if you're making money off of your long hair, make sure that short hair does not come into style. You know, you got to do whatever it takes to make sure that doesn't happen. It's up to you. American Filth is a production of School of Humans and iHeart Podcasts. I'm Gabby Watts. This episode was written by Julia Criscow. Theme song is by me and Jesse Neiswanger. Our senior producer is Amelia Brock. Our executive producers are Virginia Prescott, Elsie Crowley, and Brandon Barr. You can follow along with the show on Instagram at American Filth Pod. Also, if you like the show, or even if you don't like the show, give it a review. Give me some stars. Give me no stars. Do whatever. Leave a comment. It helps with the algorithm. All right. Talk to you next time. Bye. School of Humans. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs in schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. He was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my hosts as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. 
I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.